I'm going to invite you to take your copy of the, either the digital word or the written word and open with me to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 5. And this coming week is perhaps my favorite week of the year. Uh, typically try to save some vacation time to be able to take this week off and enjoy it with my wife, the boys, get some things done around the house, our property, and also just to, just to reflect on God's goodness to me personally. Uh, just this past week, my, my son Moses asked, Dad, what would you say was the most important time in your life? And I thought for a moment, I thought about the early years I was a Christian back in college where there wasn't a lot of other Christians at school I went to. But God put me on a path there. And I remember just praying consistently for him to reveal his future, for him to, to bless me with a, a Christ-exalting wife. And, and I said, Moses, I think I'm still experiencing the fruit of the answer to those prayers from all those years ago. But I said, Moses... Uh, my favorite time in my life is right now, and just being able to be with your wife, be with you and your brothers, but also to be among you, church family. And it's an honor to be numbered among your family. It's a privilege to, to be in relationship with you. So this is a, a great time. And I'm hoping that you will be able to take some time this week also to set aside and, and just to be grateful for the blessings that God has brought to your life. In God's wise foresight, we just happen to be dealing with a passage here in John 5 where there was a man who did not give thanks for the work in his life. It's true what, what Zach said at the beginning of the service. He was a man that was, uh, he was an invalid, he was paralyzed, and, and Jesus did reveal himself to this man, and he was healed but surprisingly to me, at least, he does not give thanks to Jesus, nor does he become a follower of Jesus. So would you read with me these first 18 verses in John chapter 5? At this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. And when the water is stirred up, while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, Well, the man who healed me, that man said, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? 
Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. That man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Would you join me for a time of prayer? Our our great God, as we look at this passage, we see Jesus pursuing a man. We see a man that is dramatically healed. And yet there is nothing within him that pauses and expresses gratitude or an inclination to becoming a follower of Jesus. Oh, may that not be said of us. May we look at the the blessings, the work that you are doing around us and in us and be compelled to, to never let our tongues cease without giving you thanks and appreciation for all that you do around us. We see here a man that was healed physically, but there was a a greater need to be done in his life, a forgiveness of sins. We see Jesus calling him to holiness. Lord, may we receive that same calling aloud and clear today to say, yes, there are some things that we desire in our life, but what you desire is for us to become more and more like Jesus to exhibit more and more evidence of the Spirit's work in our life. And, oh, Lord, may we end by just worshiping you as we see Jesus identifying himself as one with the Father, one with you. And may that be throughout our week, this week, a time of just worshiping you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. We see in this passage a miracle at a pool. But if you have an older translation, as I was reading John chapter 5, you might say, hey, you skipped the verse. At the end of verse 3, you you missed a few words there, and you completely missed verse 4. Did anyone have that experience as I was reading that? Well, there's a reason for that. If you look in your margin, you'll see that likely there is a verse 4 there. In fact, there's a few words that are not included from verse 3 where it says, waiting for the moving of the water. And then in my margin for verse 4, it says, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So Chad, why is the translation you reading, why is there a missing verse? Well, allow me to take a run at that, okay? You realize, a church family, that we do not possess the original copy of the Gospel of John, or for that matter, the original copies of any of the books of the Bible. We have copies of them. 
an embarrassment of riches when it comes to hundreds, in some cases, thousands of copies of these books of the Bible. And so when we read John chapter 5, and there are other places throughout the Scriptures as well, there are times when the earlier manuscripts do not contain some words, some sentences, or in this case, a verse. It is believed that when the earliest manuscripts were written, there would have been time where the scribes, as they were recopying these verses, may have added additional words. So, for example, as you look at John chapter 5, verse 7, you read, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool, and when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going on another steps down before me, when the scribe, the person who was copying this portion of Scripture, he may have thought of a legend. He may have thought of a story. That, hey, I I can understand why that man would have wanted to go down where the waters were stirred. There was something about an angel, wasn't there? And so he may have just added a few words there in the margin. And the next time that was copied, those words in the margin were actually inserted into this portion of Scripture. Now, this isn't the only place this takes place, but I got good news for you. Any time that it does happen within the Scriptures, it never has to do with essential doctrines. It's always off on the periphery. It's some details here off on the side of the story. So let us take a look at this passage again. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, After this, that is after he healed this official's son, there was a feast. We're not exactly sure what feast of the Jews it was that was held, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem for it. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, that is a way of identifying the gate that would allow you to enter into the temple, there was a sheep gate in Aramaic, a pool. And it was called Bethesda. This word Bethesda is, means a house of mercy or house of grace. It says also that it had five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. This word multitude is not referring to several or a few or dozens, but we might say potentially hundreds of people that are sick that are around these two pools that would have been supplied by artesian wells. So here was the superstition that was believed that's recorded in verse 4. Is that on occasion an angel would dip down and would stir the waters. And the first person to enter the pool after the angel was there, well, they would be healed. Now we know that these pools were supplied by artesian wells. So we could say that there would have been just some basic benefit that would come from anyone soaking themselves in these pools, and that could very well be where some had been healed. What we see here is that these pools of Bethesda were anything but pools of grace or mercy because it was all about performance. It was all about the one that could first get there in their own efforts. Those would be the one that would be believed to be healed. The first point I think we see from this passage is, number one, 
Jesus seeks individuals. Jesus seeks individuals. Look with me here at verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. Now, if there are hundreds of sick people around these two pools, Jesus identifies one of them, and he sees that one person. And this is the pattern that we see throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 3, Jesus had carved out time in his calendar to meet with one person, Nicodemus. In John chapter 4, despite being whipped and fatigued, in the middle of the afternoon, he was there in Sychar and says, I'm going to make time to be with this woman, this outcast here at the well. At the last part of John chapter 4, he made time to hear an appeal from the official to heal his son. Jesus pursues, seeks, and on this particular weekend, I might say he hunts for individuals. And he says there in verse 6, Do you want to be healed? Now, there are certain questions that I've deemed that I'm just not going to ask. One question is I'm not going to come up to a a woman and say, are you pregnant? Uh, I'm not going to pull off to the side of the road when a guy's got his hood popped open and he's, he's down there looking in and saying, hey, is everything all right? I'm not going to go to Little Caesars and, and go in and say, hey, how much is your $5 pizzas again? And I'm quite sure I would never go up to one that has been paralyzed for 38 years and say, do you want to be healed? But Jesus did. And he was not asking, because it says here that he knew his condition. He was not asking for his own benefit, but he was asking this man to consider that question himself. If you were to be healed, well, you would have to get a job. You, you would no longer be dependent on others. Rather, you would have to be independent. You would have to actually contribute to society. Is this something that you'd be willing to take on? And look what it says there in verse 7. This man offers an excuse. I would say this man actually offers faith, but it's not in Jesus. It's faith in others that could get him down to the pool. Sorry, I have no one to put me into the pool. And when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. Jesus seeks individuals. Later we'll see in chapter 5, verse 14, this man goes, goes off into the temple. And what does it say there? Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him. See, we see throughout this pattern, this, this gospel of John, where Jesus is seeking individual people. Has it ever occurred to you that you are on Jesus's VIP list? That to Jesus, you are a very important person. He has come to you to offer you life and forgiveness of sins, to bless your life. Jesus does not come in general. He does not come in vague as some shadowy figure. 
but he comes individually to you. And and if he comes individually, then those of us who have tasted this grace from him, we are to pursue others individually as well. It was a few weeks ago on our Wednesday night small group where we were discussing the woman at the well, and we just decided as we were discussing that, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go look for people. In, in the wells of our life, to be able to share the gospel with them. And so each of us were identifying w- the circle of friends that we have and who we could share the gospel with. And I thought to myself, well, I play basketball on Wednesday afternoons with this group of guys at the Y. Depending on that day, there might be 8, 10, 12, 14 of these guys. And when I thought of them, how in the world will I share the gospel with all of them? It can be kind of a daunting task. But this past Wednesday, just a few days ago, I got there a little bit early and there was just one guy shooting baskets over there. And you know what? Personally, individually, it's manageable. We have to see people one at a time to be able to share the gospel, to share the truth with them. This is what Jesus did. We see secondly in this passage that Jesus values relationships over rules. And so he tells them in verse 8, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Verse 9 it says, and at once this man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. This man was completely healed. Despite not using his, his body, his legs for 38 years, he had no need of rehab. He did not need to go to a rehab facility. He was instantly strong, and he could get up and walk, and he had enough strength to carry his mat. Maybe your translation says bed. We ought not to think of this heavy, king-size bed. It would have been more like a mat that you would lay down on to keep you from the the dust of the earth. And now the the whole story turns. If we were watching a movie there would be some gloomy music that would come to the last part of verse 9 where it says, Now that day was the Sabbath. Now why would it turn there? Because Jesus could have healed this man on any day of the week he wanted. But I believe he intentionally chose this day to provoke some conflict. It says there in verse 10, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, The man who healed me, that man said, Take up your bed and walk. The Jews had this belief that it was a sin to carry this mat on the Sabbath. But is there any evidence of this in the Scriptures? Absolutely not. Not. There are 39 prohibitions that the Jews and their mad made laws had placed on the Sabbath. And this man had violated one of them that he was not supposed to carry his mat on this day. The Sabbath is a gift to replenish and realign lives, it was not offered to divide people. That these Jews had missed the entire point of the Sabbath. It was to provide a day off from work. It allowed the body and the soul to rest. It gave man and woman the opportunity to align their hearts to God. 
but they did not see it this way. Like two siblings that were fighting over a present on Christmas morning, these Jews had found a way to fight over this precious gift of the Sabbath. Today we might not fight over the Sabbath and how it's to be applied, but we have our own list, don't we? List of things that the Bible has not clearly laid out, but we can divide over. The thought of obeying rules to achieve salvation or relationship with God is called legalism. This is exactly what the Jews were immersed in here. The Jews could not even acknowledge that this man who had been paralyzed for 38 years had now been miraculously healed. Let's imagine for a moment. It won't be very hard to imagine. It's January. It's a Sunday morning. And a great blizzard has just blown through on a Saturday evening. And your neighbor that lives in your neighborhood is a man that's been paralyzed for 38 years. You've never known him to be outside of a wheelchair. He's always been like that. He's, he's just adjusted his life to that. But on this particular Sunday morning, you hear a hum of a snowblower going off in his driveway. And you peer out your window and say, that's my neighbor Henry. And he is walking behind a snowblower. And so to make sure that you're seeing this right, you put your warm jacket, your boots, your hat, and your mittens on, and you begin to walk over to your neighbor Henry's driveway. And as you get a little bit closer, sure enough, that is Henry, and he is blowing snow. He is using a shovel. He is walking behind a snowblower without any aid of anything else. And Henry's eyes lock with yours, and he can see this excitement. It's coming across his face like, look, I'm walking. I'm actually walking. And he's, he's doing this, and he's doing this, and he's doing this. And he's like, can you believe it that I'm walking? I'm right here before you. And you walk up to Henry, and you say, turn that snowblower off. Turn it off. Don't you know what you're doing today? Yes, can you see I'm walking? No, today is the Sabbath, and you should not be blowing snow on this Sunday morning. You would have missed the whole picture of this great healing that would have taken place. And that's exactly what's going on here with these Jews. They should be rejoicing that God has healed this man. Instead, they are angry that this man is actually blowing a snow on Sunday morning. Despite being healed, this man, the man had no interest in expressing gratitude or becoming a follower of Jesus. This is a surprising element of the story. They say to him in verse 10, it is a Sabbath that it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. In verse 11, he don't even know who the man was that healed him. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Don't blame me for this. Don't blame me for walking or carrying this mat on the Sabbath. Blame the guy that healed me. And then it says, it says in verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. The words there, went away, implies he walked away from Jesus. He, he, there, there is no hint 
in this story that one, this man expressed thankfulness to Jesus or that he became a follower of Jesus. He refused to give thanks. He reviewed, he, re, he revert, uh, uh, revered man's opinion more than he revered Jesus. You know, you were created to give thanks. Show me the man who is thankful, and I will show you the one who is content and satisfied. And you know, when we are thankful and we offer gratitude to others, we are the ones that are greatly blessed by that. A couple of years ago was a Wednesday evening. I was in my office, and I remember the sun coming down, and it was getting dark before people started arriving for Awana or whatever we were doing that night. And I was reading something. It was like a men's study, and it had to do with being grateful. And I paused for a moment, and I thought, is there anyone in my life right now that I have not expressed gratitude towards? And you know, my mind went back to my fifth-grade teacher up, way up in northern Minnesota. I mean, I hadn't thought about him. It seemed like decades. But he was my favorite teacher. And I thought, man, he must be in his mid to late 80s. I don't even know if this guy's still alive. And so I Googled his name, Elmer Smith. And you know what? I found him. And right there in my office, I called. His wife answered. And I said, you're not going to believe it. I'm, I'm 1983, 1984. I was in... Your, your husband's fifth grade class at Cobb Cook Elementary School. Is he still there? Is he around? Oh, he's right here. And I got a chance, just a five-minute conversation, just to express thankfulness. You made an impact on my life, Mr. Smith. Thank you for what you've done. You know what? He didn't even remember me. <laughs> and, and I get it. I didn't, I didn't do it to get, to get credit or anything like that. I just said, this is what the Lord would have me to do. When I hung up the phone... Man, I was on cloud nine because I was the one who got to express thankfulness. We were created to do that. Can I, can I just take a little detour with you? Keep your finger here. Let me show you Romans 1. And this is such so foundational for us to understand. Romans chapter 1. Those of you who uh, have been in the Bible, you know that this lays out why man is in the predicament he is. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. Allow me to read about six or seven verses here. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, but God has shown it to them. So God has revealed himself to all of mankind. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God has made himself known to you. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him, listen to this, as God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals, and creeping things. And I think you, if you know this passage, what God does is he, he then turns man over to their own sinful pursuits. And here's the point of this passage. Every one of us realize that there is a God and he has blessed us immeasurably. 
And what he desires as our response is that we would give thanks to him. But we have not done so. And that is sin. God's desire for us is to live a life of gratitude. Let me give you the third thing that we see from this passage in in John chapter 5. And that is Jesus ranks holiness over healing. Listen to what it says there in verse 13. Jesus now is going to meet up with this man in the temple after he has healed him. And it says, verse 14 rather, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Listen, fella, it's great that you got healed, but there is a greater problem that exists in your life. It's not that you've been an invalid for 38 years. It's that you've been a sinner your whole life. And the greatest problem you have is not paralysis, but it's you are on your way to hell. If this man did not forsake his sinful lifestyle, he would endure something worse than being paralyzed. He would experience hell. This verse also seemed to indicate that there was a, a linkage there between sin and his physical condition. And now we cannot look at people that are experiencing some sort of a physical or mental problem and say, I'll tell you why they, they're experiencing that. It's because of sin. That's why we have the book of Job. But there are times where there is a direct link, isn't there? A person that is reckless, gets behind a wheel, and their reckless driving could lead to a physical impairment. A person that is an alcoholic can can drink to the point that their liver is deeply damaged. A person that is a chain smoker will possibly get damaged to their lungs. So we see this linkage here. But I think the big picture as we look at John chapter 5, the first 18 verses, is that Jesus is more concerned about our holiness than he is about our physical healing. There will come a time when his own children will be permanently held when we go into glory. But right now, his greatest priority is that we'll be forgiven of our sins. And that might seem like a pretty straightforward message, but it is not one that is commonly held if you were just to compare it with what we see on cable TV or what these big preachers often offer to us. There's an entire movement called the Word of Faith. And perhaps you're familiar with this prosperity gospel. And and the point of this message that they offer to us is that if you have enough faith, it is God's will for everyone to be healed. Well, as we look at this passage here in John chapter 5, clearly this man did not have any faith in Jesus. His faith was in others. But yet Jesus stepped in and brought healing to him. And I would just urge us with caution that when we hear this message that that comes over the airwaves so predominantly that we would stay clear of it. Sometimes uh, there will be one that would ask me a question. Here, here's a Bible study by this author. Chad, what do you think about if we offer this? And I'd say, you know what? That author is affiliated with the Word of Faith movement. I think we ought to stay clear of this. Just this past week, one of our members says, well, Chad, 
Unless we know who the names of these people are, who do we know who to stay clear from? So I said, all right, keeping that in mind, let me offer a few names as your pastor that I would say, just stay clear from, okay? Oral Roberts, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Haglin, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, Joel Olstein, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, Andrew Olmack, the, the whole Bethel music affiliated with uh, Bill Johnson. All of these adhere to this sort of belief. And I'm just saying to you that if you were to listen to them, not everything they say was wrong or unscriptural. These leaders are engaging, they're lively, they're entertaining, and, and not everything they say is wrong, but they do offer a different gospel. And I would just urge you to stay clear. I'll give you the last one then, I think, in this passage. And that is, Jesus is equal with God. You see it here in in verse uh, 17 and 18. They're upset that Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus says in verse 17, My Father is working until now. And I'm working. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, my father does not rest on the Sabbath. He is continually working. And I'm not going to rest on the Sabbath. I'm going to continue to work. He is identifying himself with God. And then verse 18, it's even more clear than this. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but listen to this, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He was just saying, I, I am equal with God. This marks a turning point in the Gospel of John. The Jews are now going to be plotting to kill him. Why? Because he had healed on the Sabbath and he claimed to be God. Now let's just look at this passage together. How is it that we can apply these first 18 verses of John chapter 5? One, how is Jesus pursuing you? If you're watching this online or if you're listening to this on your way to work, uh, what, what is the evidence that Jesus has of pursuing you? Perhaps you've been a Christian for decades and you could look back and say, Jesus, I am so grateful that you did not give up, but you pursued me. You pursued me individually. Thank you for that. Secondly, how has he worked in your life? In this man's life, he brought dramatic physical healing. But how is he working in your life right now? And are you known to be a a grateful person? Do people know you as one that is always expressing gratitude? And then thirdly, is your Christianity based on rules or relationship with Jesus? Fourthly, because holiness is so preeminent in Jesus' view What sin is Jesus leading you to forsake? And finally, how will you worship God this Thanksgiving? It is true that the Bible says in the book of James that the Bible is like a mirror. As we hold up the truth of God's word, 
it, it, it reflects our own hearts. And what, what is being reflected into your life this morning as we looked at these verses? I want to just, I want to challenge you today and this week to live a life of thankfulness for the blessings that God has given to you. Let it not be said of us, as could be said about this man, that he did not offer thanks. What I would like to do this morning is conclude our service a little bit different than how we usually do. Um, Zach has worked on developing a a prayer team of, of individuals and couples that are going to be scattered throughout the room today at the close of our service during this invitation time. And, and would God have you go to them and say, you know what, I need prayer about something in my life. I, I want to have this gratitude that this man in John chapter 5 did not have. Or maybe there's a pressure, there's, there's a cause of stress in your life right now. And you say, I would really like it. If someone would just offer up this burden that I have on behalf of me to bring that to the Father. There is a great joy that we have in being able to partner and shouldering one another's burdens. So that's what I'd like us to do. Why don't we all stand at this time? If you're a part of that prayer team, why don't you just assemble yourselves wherever you would like throughout the auditorium. And as Scott and and Miss Karen come and the music team comes to play here for us in a bit, as we begin to sing this song, I would just urge you to to go to people and say, would you pray for me in this? And you don't need them to pray for you. You could come here at the altar and pray as well. Let's not miss an opportunity to be the church family to one another today and just pray with one another and receive prayers on our behalf. Father, I thank you for this passage here in in some ways that tells us what not to be. We, We could say, man, there's so much going on in our life, so many blessings, and help us to return thankfulness to you. Help us to be followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. Those of you who are not singing, why don't you Once you pray and receive some prayer.